Bible podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Harris. Hi, everybody. Pastor Josh here. Just want to appreciate Pastor Joey for letting me share the word uh, this time and just greeting all of you wherever you might be watching. You might be here in Singapore or anywhere in the world. And this is the one cool thing about sharing online is we get to see each other, hear each other, uh, encourage one another from afar. And so I wanted to share this particular message, and it came from a place that for me is a little bit scary. Uh, I don't know if you're like me and you've ever had a dream where you're you're supposed to have studied for a test and you didn't study, uh, or that became a reality. You showed up and there was a pop quiz, or in my case, there was a test I just forgot about. And you're suddenly taking a test and you don't really feel ready for the exam at hand. Uh, you know, that happens to us sometimes in life. In fact, in life, we're very rarely warned that a test or a trial is coming. That's why God gives us perspective through his word on tests and why and how we can respond to tests in a way that honors him. James says, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That sounds strange to me. Why would you go, wow, this is great, I'm in a trial. He explains why. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces this thing called patience. Now, patience is a Greek word. Obviously, the whole New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, the Greek word there is upomone, which is to remain under. So upo is under, mone to remain. And it's sort of the idea of like if you're lifting weights, the reason you build muscles is you're remaining under those weights. And as you lift them, you're actually strengthening those muscles. The more you can remain under that weight, the, the stronger your muscles are becoming. It's similar in our lives. When we can pass through a test, endure a test, it is actually strengthening us. Now, what purpose does that have? James says this, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God's intention is to make you into the you you're supposed to be so that your whole life you, you, you're able to live out the you you were meant to be. This perfect and complete doesn't mean you never make mistakes. It doesn't mean uh, that you're good at everything all the time. You know, I can't just claim this verse and then shoot uh, free throws in basketball or something and believe that I'm perfect and complete. I'll make them 100% of the time. It means I'm perfectly built and ready for the thing God intended for me. Now, the reality is when God's really getting you ready for everything you're called to be and everything you're called to do in life, it kind of even gets worse than trials. Sometimes he puts you through fire. This is how Peter describes it. He says that in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Imagine that. He, he's recognizing there's grief, there's loss, there's persecution, there's pain in life, and he's wrestling with that. Why? Because the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The idea is he's saying, you know, gold has to be refined by being melted down, being put through fire. That's kind of how our lives are sometimes. For the pure us, the real us to emerge, sometimes it requires us going through trials. And that brings us to the number 10. Now, the number 10, you might go, why the number 10? That's kind of a strange thing. Well, the Bible has a lot of 10s in it, things that happen in groups of 10. One that probably comes to mind without thinking too hard is the idea of the 10 commandments. I don't know whether you've read it in the Bible or seen the movies. God gives 10 rules or regulations for us to study and understand. 
and in a way tests us to say, will you follow my commandments? Uh, So tens often come in times where there's a test involved or a challenge involved. So uh, for example, when Abraham's praying for Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, you know, if I can get you down to 10 righteous people, will you not destroy the land? And God agrees. Uh, With Jacob and Laban, uh, Laban changes his wages 10 times to test his real love for Rachel. Will he keep serving even despite uh, the trials that he's facing? Uh, The 10 brothers uh, of Joseph who, who test him by selling him into slavery uh, not on purpose, or their, their intention wasn't good for him in any way, shape, or form, and yet he's tested by that. Uh, can he remain a person who doesn't get bitter, uh, but gets better through that kind of rejection? Uh, there's 10 days where Daniel and his friends eat only vegetables, uh, and they're tested to see if they look as good as those who had been given more food to eat. And so all these different things are examples of how God uses this number 10 to test us. Now, One of the first places we see the number 10 is actually back in Exodus before the Ten Commandments. God actually sends 10 plagues on Egypt. And this could be kind of confusing. Okay, why is God sending these 10 plagues? Interestingly, this first test, this test of 10 that happens here anyway, is actually God showing himself and putting himself to the test and showing something very specific. So it says uh, in the text that thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river. Uh, And so basically what God is doing now, right? He's turning the Nile into uh, where once was water. It's now blood. And he says he's doing this so that you shall know that I am the Lord. So every time God is moving in one of these situations, every time God is doing one of these miracles and these plagues are being sent by God, he's doing it to teach both the children of Israel and the Egyptians, that he, in fact, is God. And so all these different plagues come at different times, right? There's these lice, which sounds horrible. It gets dark, uh, hail's falling from, from heaven. Different things are happening. And each one of those is attached to another god or idol that people would pray to, and God is showing that he is greater than that god or idol and that he is able to show miracle power, okay? So now, he does this, and again, this one time he sends these locusts and they're destroying all the crops, and again, he reminds them he's doing this for a very specific reason, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now, when Moses is referencing this to the children of Israel as they're getting ready after a whole generation, a bunch of stuff happens, they're finally ready to get back and go into the land of promise, uh, he speaks to the children who didn't see some of this stuff, and he's reminding them why all this stuff happened. And he says this, uh, he's talking about all these severe plagues against Egypt and Pharaoh and all these things. Then he said, then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us a land which he swore to his fathers. In other words, God is never doing these things that seem kind of harsh or strange or different. He's not doing them to hurt people. That's not his primary goal. His primary goal was to bring people out of slavery through a desert experience so that he might bring them into a place where they can experience the fullness of life he intended for them. Unfortunately, when he got them to the edge of that promised land, he had taken them through all this desert, he had taken them through and done all these miracles to get them out of Egypt, and now God is bringing them right to the point of their destiny. They're right at the edge of the promises of God for their life. Unfortunately, when they look into the land, they send 10 spies, we're back to 10, And they spy out the land. We actually sent 12, but 10 of the spies come back with a bad report. 
because 10, when they went into the land, only saw the giants. They only saw, wow, there's giants here. There's big people here. I don't know. We can't beat those guys up. There's too many challenges in front of us for us to enter into our destiny. You know, often we get frozen by fear because God's calling us to do things that go beyond ourselves. Uh, When I was young, I used to always hear preachers say something along the lines of, God's purpose for your life is always big enough that there's room for him in it. In other words, God's purpose for your life is so big, it goes beyond what you could possibly do yourself. That can be very scary. Uh, Honestly, in my own life, there's times where God's asked me to do things, and I'm like, man, I have no idea how to do those things. God will put you in positions where you're challenged beyond your own ability. The reason for that is so he can show you how strong he can be in your life, how he can help you, how he can strengthen you, how he can give you resources beyond what you could imagine. Often the scariest moment is the moment where we're right about to enter into our destiny. It's the fear you feel right when before you get married, right before you have your first child, uh, right before you step into a new role or profession you've never experienced before. And so God's intention is not for us to just feel the fear of that new moment, but actually to enter us into the promises on the other side. Unfortunately, the children of Israel didn't do that. They listened to the 10 spies who said, man, this is too challenging. It's too hard. It's too scary. Let's turn back. And all of them began to cry and lift their voices and they wept. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. So now the very people who were leading them, doing miracles, had provided supernaturally water through God in the wilderness and manna bread falling from heaven for them. All their things were taken care of. And now they're complaining. And they say this, The whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Now they're going, oh, I wish we were still slaves. That's what they're really saying. Sometimes it's tempting to go back to our life, even though we know it's miserable, but it's safe. God's called us out to do something new or go into a new relationship that's scary or go try something or reach out to someone we've never reached out to before. Some new thing that goes beyond our normal capacity is laying before us And it's like, man, I just, I want to go back to my old life where I'm just addicted to staring at social media all day or watching videos or playing video games or doing whatever it is I do or worse vices that are out there. I'd rather just stay in that, back in my slavery of Egypt and just die there because it's too scary to become the person God's really made me to be. We don't want to stay there. There's so much blessing in the promised land of God for your life. Now look at the next thing they say. We wish we had a diet of slaves. We wish we had a diet in the wilderness. In other words, there's always a journey or a delay between God's, when he gives you a promise and when the fulfillment comes, when you're walking into it. So they had this time in the wilderness where they're walking through the wilderness, getting ready to go into the land. Now at this point, it hasn't been 40 years. This has only been a short period of time. They get right through this journey in the wilderness and they've experienced God's faithfulness. They've experienced God's faithfulness and yet they're unwilling to go into the land. They actually say, we wish we died in a place where there's no provision, where there's, there's no permanency. We, we can't build. We can't grow crops. And it's so unfortunate. God has so much for us if we'll just keep trusting him. They go on to say this. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Their assumption is they're going to die, that our wives and children should become victims why did, why did they assume this? Because they're only seeing what their natural eyes can see. They're not remembering how great God has been for them. 
Would not it have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they're saying to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. They're now planning, let's actively go back and be slaves again. Now, God speaks to Moses about this, and he's not very happy. And he says this, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt in the, in the wilderness and have put me to the test now. See, God was putting them to the test to see if they would trust him. They instead put him to the test. And he mentions they put him to the test 10 times. What is he talking about? They kept complaining. They asked for food. He provided food. They said, no, we want meat. They provided meat. They go, no, we want uh, water. We don't have water. He provided water. Oh, there's bitter water. He made the bitter water sweet. He kept answering their prayers, and yet still they don't trust him. Now, why is he particularly mad at them? Because those people had seen his glory. They knew God. He's not mad at people who have never encountered his presence or never encountered his love that they wouldn't trust him. He's going, look, I showed up. You've seen my miracles. You're not a baby who doesn't know any of this stuff. You've heeded, you've not heeded my voice. In other words, I've spoken to you. It's clear. These are people who've heard God. They've seen the signs he did in Egypt. They saw supernatural miracles happen, yet they still put him to the test 10 times. And I go, man, what foolish people. Why didn't they trust God? Why didn't they do what he said? Why didn't they enter into his promise? And then I stop all of a sudden and realize I'm that person. How many times have I seen God show up and do miracles? How many times has God spoken to me and it's so clear and yet I won't listen to him? I had a friend just tell me a story this week uh, where he was in a conversation and he was about to say something hurtful to the other person. And he could, he could, and it was true what he was about to say, but he, it would only create tension and a problem. And he said he could feel it as if God was telling him, don't say anything, don't bring it up, don't say anything. And he just couldn't help himself and he just said it. And he said, as soon as he said it, exactly the negative thing that he thought might happen, happened. What happened? He didn't trust God was out for his good. God was telling him not to say anything, not because he wanted him to lose an argument or look bad or not have any fuel for this fight they were going through. He wanted him not to say anything because he knew it's for your good to hold your tongue. And when I look at these verses, I go, please, God, forgive me. I've been this person who tests you and tests you and tests you, despite the fact that you've been faithful and shown your promises and shown your power and given us your word. And we need to move away from that. And is it possible to move away from that? I believe it is. You could be motivated by one of two ways to move away from that. One is to see the negative res results of your actions. It says here, they shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers to give them, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. So one thing could motivate us is, man, if I don't trust and obey God, I'm not going to see all the things he has for me. I don't want to miss out on any th good thing God has for me. I want to enter into all the good things God has for me. Now, that's kind of called a negative motivation, right? And I don't really live there because I believe God's good and he can make new plans for us and new, new abilities for us and new promises for us. I mean, God's mercies are new every morning. But I don't want to miss great opportunities he has for me. So how do I avoid missing those opportunities? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus said it this way in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. The more I listen to the temptations, the more that fullness is stolen from me. The more I listen to, to the devil's deceits, the more he kills and destroys my relationships, my finances, my physical health, my emotional health. And so to have life to the full, Jesus has come to offer us access to those promises that we couldn't get to ourselves.
Now, if I go back to the Old Testament story and go, how can we enter in, not miss these promises that God has for us? How can we see the great things God has for us? Well, this is how God describes someone who did get to see all his promises. He said this, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. That's beautiful to me. When God gives you a different spirit, you see differently. Joshua and Caleb go in the land and they go, man, this land is awesome. And if God's for us, we're well able to enter into this land. They saw the promises. When everyone else just saw the giants, they saw the fruit and the potential and the possibilities. How did they do that? They had a different spirit. They followed him wholeheartedly. Therefore, God says, I will bring him into the land. God wants to bring you into good places. We need a different spirit that helps us follow him wholeheartedly to enter into that land. But not only that, he doubles down on this promise and says, and his descendants will also inherit it. Does your obedience matter? Does your spirit matter? I believe it does. The reason I want everything God has for me is because that positions my children and their children's children to inherit more and greater and bigger. Now, again, I've mentioned it a couple of times to tell you the truth. I haven't always been the Caleb or Joshua just because my name's Joshua. I don't always act like him. Sometimes I've been one of the 10 spies seeing the giants and not seeing the fruit. Uh, so what do we do? Well, if this is the test and we're struggling to pass it, great news for everybody. Jesus took the test for us. Second Corinthians, it says this, God made him who knew no sin or had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's like the smartest kid in class took the test and you took the test and then they just let you switch papers. We get to turn in Jesus's paper. When God looks at us, he goes, no, I see in you Jesus. And because I see Jesus, I don't see sin. I see righteousness. That all happens in him. Our responsibility is to believe. That's why Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So I receive forgiveness of the bad things I've done by saying, look, Jesus took the paper for me. He did the test for me. Forgive me on behalf of his goodness, not because of my own goodness. The repentance is changing my mind and my direction to realign to what God's seeing and saying. If I'll do that, there's a promise. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a different spirit. You want to walk in a different spirit that sees the world in a different way, that sees hope, that sees peace, that sees righteousness, that sees love, that has joy, that spirit, when that spirit comes upon you, you live differently. That's how you enter into God's promises. That's how you pass the test life throw at you. That new spirit that comes on you through Jesus empowers you to live differently. When that spirit's upon you, it trains you differently to think differently, to see differently, to experience life differently. In Romans, Paul, who had received this spirit, he used to serve God in his own strength and try to know God. And man, all it produced was anger, wrath, murder. He was throwing people in prison. And this Jesus appears to him. And he realizes everything I've been doing is for myself, not really for God. And his mind changes, his heart changes, and God gives him a new spirit. And from that new spiritual perspective, he says this, we know that all things work together for good. For who? For a specific group of people, these people, those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, if I've experienced God's love and therefore I love him back, we love because we first, he first loved us. 
And if I start walking and seeing and living in his direction, into his purpose, he says, go into the land, we go. We do what he says to do. Say what he says to say. Go where he says to go. Not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but because his love has been poured out on us, his spirit's inside us that empowers us to do it, then a promise is given to us that all these things will happen and they'll happen for good. God is working for good in your life. If you're like me, sometimes you see the trial, you see the giant, you see the thing you lost. Maybe you're in a wilderness moment and God is providing manna, but you miss the good food in Egypt. And you're kind of tempted to go back to slavery rather than trust God to move forward into the new thing. One of the things I'm being challenged in doing is letting go of some of my old habits to take on new possibilities and new interest to let God move us into a new place as a family. That's challenging. But if I know that God is doing it for my good because I love him and he loves me and he has a purpose and we're called to it, I can know that it's for good. Ultimately, it's going to work for my good. So what have I said today? I've said God allows testing in our lives. He does, but he does it for a reason. He does it in order to do several things. First of all, it teaches us patience, which makes us complete. Often the reason we haven't really realized God's purpose for our life is we've run ahead. We haven't been patient enough through and endured through a lesson to become the person God wants us to be. So he's teaching us patience so that we can be complete. Faith and patience inherits God's promises. He's also refining us so that we shine for his glory and honor. You know, sometimes you're doing the right thing or enduring correctly or serving correctly, but the the kind of the heart of it, the, the emotional side of it, the, the, the motivation of it is kind of impure. And so God allows persecution. God allows testing. God allows offense to come sometimes so that he can purge us of all that so that we shine for his glory and honor. He does that to help us experience life to the full, not just to be mean to us, but to make us be the people we were always called to be. Now, God helps us pass the test. That's the great news. He reveals his power and plan. First, it's him showing up and saying, hey, I've, made, I've created the heavens and the earth. I've given you the direction. I've given you my word to show you where to go. Now, the truth is often just with his power and plan, I don't do it in my own strength. I'll mess up. And that's where the Jesus factor comes in. He took the test for us. He passed the test. So now we can enjoy God's power. We can enjoy God's plan. We can walk in it by God's grace through Jesus Christ. As we receive Jesus' love, he pours out his spirit. He puts his spirit in us that now allows us in our lives to walk out and pass the new tests that come day in and day out because we have a different spirit, a spirit that's able to face the giants, walk into the land, and receive our inheritance. So my encouragement is this, allow God to help us and allow God help us to see our tests in a very specific way. Often it's how we see things that's so important. Do we see these tests as opportunities for promotion? Often God puts tests. Think about your, your PSLE if you're here in Singapore or, or O-levels or SATs or whatever tests you might take. You're taking these tests so that you're promoted into a next round or you're receiving a degree that enables you or a certificate that enables you to do certain things. There's a promotion associated with the test. When God is testing us, it's to position us for greater promotion. It's an invitation to experience his power because the test is always going to require his help. It's going to require his spirit. It's big enough for God to be part. And that means it's an opportunity 
and many opportunities to enjoy his presence. Do we see and do we allow God to help us see all our challenges as opportunities to enjoy his power, to enjoy his presence, to receive promotion, experience his peace through that journey by his grace? I want to take communion together now to remind us of where this power comes from. Ultimately, there's a bread. It represents Jesus' body broken for us. That's the reset where we're healed, we're strengthened, we're made new by his blood, his sacrifice of himself that forgives our sins and empowers us to live new. As you take communion in your own time and at your own pace, I want you to remember Jesus took the test for you, which means he can invite you and you can receive his spirit that empowers you to face the next tests that are coming so you can walk into God's promises for your life. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.